I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. I love to sit back and, and watch the hand of God, how he takes pieces together and he assembles them and, and puts a beautiful picture for us to view. Months ago, I chose this passage for today. This past week, we saw a reason to celebrate what God's doing in ministry. And as Neil came and shared this morning, he was led to a passage in Matthew 25. Just so happens we're studying the same passage that he read. Uh, God is speaking to his church. And I pray that we hear him clearly today. To give you a brief picture of, of where we are at the moment, the beginning of the year, we, we talked through some foundational principles of the church. These foundational principles are the things in which God uh, leads us and instructs us to do as his church. Those things are um, ministry and worship, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. And, and it's paramount that we are involved in the things that God said to be involved in. And here's what we learned in, in those weeks is that when we obey him, he builds his church. The thing that we think is, is so great, he makes greater because we're following him. As we do follow him, as we started a couple of weeks ago, we started looking at kingdom results. Kingdom results are, are the things that happen naturally because we're doing what God said. The first thing that we looked at a couple of weeks ago is, is that we actually become more like Christ when we do the things that he leads us to do. More people are reached for Christ. That's what we looked at last week. And then today, there will be more serving for Christ. So as you open up your Bibles to Matthew 25, we will be reading verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. I invite you to join me there. First book of the New Testament, Matthew 25 beginning with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it 
to me. Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Real briefly, before we get into the study, there are differing thoughts about the timing of this event. Some scholars say this is the same as the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. Other scholars will say, no, this is right after the battle of Armageddon. And really, I think you can make an argument both ways. In Revelation chapter 20, there is no earth or sky. And here in uh, Matthew 25, it appears that he's coming to earth. So you can make an argument there. It's also called, and this is something that we put in there, entitling passages, we say the final judgment. Uh, We've done that, so it might incline us to think that way. But let me just say this clearly for all to hear, it does not matter when this happens. What matters is that you're ready when it does. And if we accomplish nothing else today, that needs to be settled here and now. Am I ready to stand before Jesus as he issues judgment? Number one in your outline, if you're following, we see that God's children will be separated for inheritance. Separated for inheritance. All the nations will be gathered together. They'll be together before Jesus with full awareness that he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords and he has all power in heaven and on earth. And all people will stand before him at that moment. And though the nations are gathered, scripture is very clear that each person will be judged individually. So picture that. All the world stands before Jesus, but he judges individually. I don't know if you think this way. I I tend to. Every Muslim, every Mormon, every Wiccan, Every Satanist, every Jehovah's Witness, every Church of Christ, every Baptist, every Methodist, 
Every Pentecostal, every Catholic, every Buddhist, every Hindu, every Jew, every Scientologist, and everyone who does not claim any faith whatsoever or is not associated with any religion whatsoever will stand before Jesus. No one's excused. We're all there. And they will not be standing before Jesus excusing their faith. They won't be standing before Jesus excusing their lack of faith. There will be no one standing before Jesus changing their mind. But as scripture tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a realization for all the world at the moment that says this. I was wrong. I was wrong. And then Jesus, making his individual judgments, he he separates every person into two groups. The sheep who are on his right, those are those who have surrendered their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ and follow him. And those on the left, the goats, is everybody else. I want to just say there are no degrees of sheepness. Uh, You don't get judged on your intention to become a sheep one day. You're either the Lord's sheep or Satan's goat. There's nothing in between. The Lord's sheep will inherit the kingdom, verse 34 says, prepared for them from the foundation of the world. That is good news. See, what we hear in this moment is that this has always been God's intention to reconcile all humankind to himself through Jesus Christ. That is great news. But listen to verse 41 again. Then he will say to those on the left, that's everybody else, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, listen, prepared for the devil and his angels. You can't miss this. The eternal fire was never intended for you. The eternal fire was never intended for humankind. It was designed and prepared for Satan and all his angels. We see this time and again through scripture. 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, God does not wish that any should perish, but to come to full repentance Ezekiel 18.32, God has no pleasure in the death of anyone, so turn and live. God's plan of redemption achieved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is for all people. We saw this months ago when we looked at the gospel message that was given to the shepherds about the birth of a Messiah, and it was for all people. And we see that the the ministry and message of reconciliation we talked about last week is for all people and those receive an inheritance. 
Number two in your outline, we see that God's children have been separated to serve. Separated to serve. See, there is a natural byproduct of surrendering your life to Jesus, becoming a new creation and committed to following him. And that is, you will serve. God tells us in his word that he gives us his Holy Spirit to equip us to serve his church, to serve each other, to serve him. And I want to be cautious as we approach this because this is not declaring a works-based theology. We don't earn our way to heaven. That's not why we serve. We serve because it's a natural overflow of what God is doing in us. The realization of his love for you, though you are unlovable. The the relationship and realization that he is holy and you are sinful. And yet he overlooks that and he dies for you because he loves you. Because he wants you to be reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. So now when we recognize the opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Just like across the street here this morning. Right over there. When we see the opportunities, we will serve because we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We have the nature of God within us as believers, and that is his desire. We don't serve because someone asked for help. And I know, listen, I know that if someone knocked on your door, one of your fellow believers said, I need help, there's not one of us that wouldn't drop what we're doing to help. But, but what do you do when you see someone that needs help? That they didn't ask for help, but you know they need help. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to help in that respect? We don't serve to try to be a good person. We're, we're not good. <laughs> Jesus is good, but we're not. And so when we behave by his nature, it is good. But when we're trying to be good to get his favor, it's not good. We must be careful. We, we certainly don't serve for the motive of receiving another crown in heaven. That's the wrong motive. And when we start doing that, it's like being prideful that you're humble. You can't do that. You don't serve to get something back. We serve because we love God. We serve because it's the example of Christ who came to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many to be saved. I received permission to share two examples this week. And I'm saying that to say, if you tell me something, I just don't use it as a sermon illustration. (laughs) Now, for my family, that's a different story. But for you generally, if you share something with me, it does not become a sermon illustration. So I contacted these people this week to share. Because again, how God orchestrates the things around us. Two instances this week about serving that I had to share with you this morning. Some of you may have met Everett Bowen. He is a new believer, recently baptized. He is eight years old. Last Sunday... Listen, he recognized that his mom and dad helped the church through service. Now, let me pause while that sinks in for just a second. He saw his mom and dad serve. Now, I want you to know, 
This isn't just as a preacher. This is a, as a father. Your children watch you. And when they see that Jesus and his church is highest priority in your family, there is a greater chance that God will be a high priority in their life. But if they do not see it in you, the, the chance is drastically reduced that he will not be central, listen, as Lord and Savior in their life. Your example has an eternal impact on your children. And I would say it even goes beyond parenthood, but aunts and uncles and grandparents and, and those who, who have um, the responsibility of children in your homes. You are the example. You need to show this. We are to disciple them. Now, if we're not discipling them, the world is. We must take that responsibility. So Everett's observation led to a question. Again, take note. How can I serve the church? How can I help the church? And he saw his mother being uh, a servant in our hospitality team, and he asked if he could do that. So I received a message on Sunday. Can Everett serve on the hospitality committee? After much prayer, I decided, no, joking. <laughs> Absolutely. And listen to his heart. I especially want to make sure that the young people get their special bulletin for the service. Y'all probably saw him today. And I'm so thankful that Everett has a heart for service. And I'm thankful for his parents modeling what it means to serve the Lord in his presence. The second example, Rita Smith is our women's missionary union director and she came into the office this week and and again i'm not, i don't repeat things that that come into my office but she said can i confess something to you so i turned on the record no i did not <laughs> i'm sorry i shouldn't say that she said the lord showed her that she was allowing other things to occupy her mind that she was being distracted consumed for the last five or six months. The Lord showed her this. She was exhausted. She couldn't sleep. And let me just say, that may describe you today. You, you can't sleep. You're, you're trying to carry the burdens of the world today. You're trying to solve something that is not within your power to solve. And maybe, maybe you can identify with where Rita was last week. So Rita surrendered those thoughts to Jesus. And after making Jesus central, he called her to be a leader for a much-needed ministry in this church and our community. By making herself available, words that you heard from Neil this morning, Jesus answered an eight-month prayer by me specifically that God would raise a leader for the grief share ministry. And she specifically asked, have you heard of grief share? <laughs> yes. God has laid on my heart to lead that. Is that okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've been praying that God would do this. 
And so I'm thankful, first, that, that Rita listened to the Lord, that she surrendered the things that she needed to surrender to him, and then heard the call, but listen, and said yes. That's how ministry happens. That's what God does in the family of God. He speaks to you, and you'll either reject it or you'll respond to him. And when you respond to him, he opens up another door. Here's why. Here's why it was bothersome to you all these months. If you would just open up to me, let me show you what I have in store. So I'm excited about the coming days. And I would ask you this morning, what's keeping you from serving? It's the nature of God within us to serve. Jesus said, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You welcomed me when I was a stranger, clothed me when I was naked, visited me when I was sick and came to me when I was in prison. Serving will cost you something. The, the examples here, the, the first examples, food, drink, and clothing. Uh, those are, are, are things that you possess, that you're giving away, listen, with no expectation of return, sometimes not even a thank you. Your time and reputation are, are given to welcome a stranger, to visit the sick, to minister in jail. Why? But because we are a steward of everything that God has given us in his name. And, and we have a bad habit of doing this as worldly people. We, we look at, at the possessions that we have or, or the, the, the number in the bank and we're saying, look what I've done, look what I've built. And I would say, no, you didn't. God gave you the talent. He gave you the job. He created you. He provided you with all the blessings that you're enjoying today. But it's not for you. It's for him. And it's for his glory. And we have a choice every time to share his, his gifts with others for his glory or to keep it for ourselves. I find it interesting in this passage that God's children did not realize they were serving Christ by serving others. They were perplexed. When did we do that? When did we serve you? Jesus replied, when you serve the least important, when you serve the lowest in social status, you served me. So what happens when you serve someone? You humble yourself. You put their needs before your desires. You put their circumstances before your plans and you serve like Jesus. So what did the righteous have in common in this passage? Everyone that was counted to the right, the sheep, every one of them, what did they have in common? They served Christ by serving others. Every one of them. I think that's important to see. Too often we think of church as the place where we would go to receive a blessing. That's, that's the, the church is a place where we go to receive encouragement. The church is a place that we go to receive help. But Christ is clear in Scripture that that's where we go to give worship. That's where we go to give service. It's where we go to give encouragement. It's where we go to give service, give assistance, give tithes, give offerings, give God glory. That's why we're here. And guess what? When we do that together, we gain encouragement, we gain assistance, and we gain help. We work together. We're a family. 
the family of God. So God's children receive an inheritance and God's children will serve. But number three, God's children will be separated for eternity. They'll be separated for eternity. Scripture goes on to say, Then Jesus will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, you might read that with anger and frustration. And honestly, sometimes I have. If you think of the situation, Jesus here, people there, those who followed him are here. You can almost see this. Depart from me. Anger, frustration, but I don't think that's accurate. I I wish it would have said with a heavy heart, with tears in his eyes, while he was weeping, he said, depart from me. But doesn't say that. I do know that Jesus suffered and died on the cross. I know that he received God's full wrath for our sin on the cross. I know that he did that so that all people could be reconciled to him for eternity. However, many either don't believe in him or they just want to be saved from hell without relinquishing authority to him as Lord. So as he looks at the people in front of him, knowing that he gave everything, knowing the opportunities provided to turn to him again and again and again, knowing that they chose the temporary pleasures of this world over eternal life with him, he said, depart from me. The translation of of that depart from me is continue going in the way that you've already chosen. Keep living like you're living. You've condemned yourself by not choosing me. You're going to a place that was not intended for you. And you will be in anguish with the devil and his angels for eternity. Goats, sheep. God's children, everybody else. There's not a middle of the road. It's not a party. It's eternal anguish. It will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What do the cursed have in common, according to this passage? They did not serve Christ by serving others. Every one of them did not serve Christ by serving others. And here are the thoughts. And I can say these because I've said them. Someone else will do it. Someone else has more than me to give. Someone else has more time. Someone else is more comfortable doing that sort of thing. I'm not comfortable. What if it's a scam? What if this whole thing is a scam and I give it to them, then they go buy drugs and alcohol with it anyway? We make excuses, don't we? Why not to serve? But are we supposed to be making excuses why we cannot serve someone in Christ's name? There were some people described in Matthew chapter 7, those who prophesied, those who cast out demons, those who did mighty works in Jesus' name. But listen, they also did not pick up their cross daily and follow Jesus. Matthew 7. 
They did not give up everything to be his disciples. Luke 14. Jesus said, depart from me because I never knew you. See, that's where it gets real for you and me. We know Bible stories. We probably all know John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. We love that verse. But that verse will not save you. I am glad you're here for worship, but attending a worship service will not save you. I'm glad we have offering plates at the doors that as you exit, you can give your gift to God financially to support his ministry and his church, but that will not save you. I'm thankful that we have a mission trip coming up uh, for the college. I have a thankful that we have a mission trip coming up in Alaska, but going on the mission trip will not save you. I'm thankful we have a baptistry, but that will not save you. You have to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Commit your life and your way to him. That's the only way. And that's how he knows you. See, if he doesn't know you, you're not saved. Where are you today? And let me just say, if you're standing here in the middle and you're like, I'm not sure. I don't know which side I'm on. You better make sure today that you know. And it's easy. It's, it's easy for a child to know him and it's easy for you to know him. You simply have to humble yourself before him. You have to turn away from your lifestyle, from your way of thinking and surrender yourself to him. He is the authority over your life and you follow him. So one lesson I draw from Matthew 25, your lifestyle provides evidence of whether you're walking in the flesh or you're walking in the spirit. If you're following Jesus, your lifestyle will be more and more like his. There's not the light switch that changes you automatically at surrendering to his lordship, but you will become more like him over time. Following are some lifestyles that are not consistent with the following of Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm just going to read through these. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 describes the sexually immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that you've tripped up and you did it. I'm saying this is your lifestyle that you're unwilling to turn from. Revelation twenty two fifteen. outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. If any of these represent your lifestyle, your life is representing the works of the flesh. Maintaining ungodly character, you're choosing this. Seeking worldly pleasures. 
And I want you to hear this morning that Jesus died so that you would not be a slave to those behaviors any longer. He can break the chains and only him. We can give it our best effort, right, Renee? We can give it our best effort. We can try to do better, but we're going to fail. Jesus is the only one that can break those chains. You can repent now. You can choose Jesus today to be your Lord and Savior. You can allow him to change you so that you follow his ways and not your own. That last verse, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We don't have time to be partially committed to Christ. I gave an estimation of Christ's return a couple of weeks ago. And I'm even closer today because we're one day closer than we've ever been in history to his return. Are you ready to stand before him right now? Will you trust in the Lord's completed work to remove your sin and to give you his righteousness? Will you, parents, guardians, will you put Christ and his church first in your family? to be a model for the next generation. As we follow Christ, there will be more service in his name for his glory because that's his nature in us. It is the overflow of what God has done and the overflow of what God is doing in us. This is the real, the, the true, the living God in us. So as we close, will you say yes to the Lord? Will you say yes to salvation? Will you say yes to ministry? And I'm not just talking about jail ministry or celebrate recovery or grief share. Will you say ministry? Some of you have been called to ministry and you've not yet said it out loud. You've not shared it with anyone. You're holding it inside and you're hoping it goes away, but God has called you into ministry and you have not yet surrendered to that. What kind of life is that going to lead you? God brought you to a place. He's called you to a place and you're saying, no, that's a life of misery ahead of you. What about missions? Not just going to Alaska, not just going to Ohio, but has he called you to be a missionary? When, when's the best time to surrender to the call you understand? Right now. But I'm scared. Yeah, I get that. But I'll have to give up everything. Oh, yeah. What if I have to leave? Yeah. What if? What if you don't follow him? What then? What if you reject Jesus today? Would you say yes to giving? Will you say yes to serving? Will you say yes to repentance? Will you say yes to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ today? Simple question. Will you say yes? We've got great examples today celebrating what God is doing in our midst because people said yes. 
You can be part of that. I'm going to ask Ryan and Mike to come up, lead us in time of invitation. Uh, the altar is always open. It's open for you. It's a way to put your, your feet to your faith. You might be saying it in your heart, but no one else knows about it. Maybe this is this morning is the time for you to say, you know, God is calling me. And this morning I say, yes. I thought I was a child of God, but I wasn't. But today I say, yes. I want to know that I know that I know that I'm counted among the sheep. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your gentleness, for your compassion, for your truth. Lord, I'm thankful that you have accomplished everything that it requires for us to be reconciled to God. Forgive us for where we have rejected you. Forgive us where where we give you uh, lip service, but we walk away and do our own thing. Lord, I pray that it changes today. I pray that we would be your church. I pray that we would come to you now. We would bow before you. We would humble ourselves before you and say, God, I am not who I said I was, but I'm giving it all to you right now. Lord, have your way in me. I say yes. Lord, may you be glorified here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.